Sin Media and Arts Mission acknowledge and pay our respects to the people of the Wairarung and Bunwarung language groups of the Eastern Kulin Nations, on whose unceded lands the Sin Office Studios and our homes stand. Arts Mission respectfully acknowledges their ancestors and elders, past, present and emerging. We also acknowledge the traditional custodians and their ancestors of the lands and waters across Australia where our content reaches and on which Sin partner organisations stand. Sovereignty has never been ceded, it always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to another episode of Art Smitten Bites. This is Art Smitten's home of all our interviews that originally get broadcast on our radio show on Wednesdays at 4pm to 6pm, but we do also want to make them available for everyone to listen to at any time and on any podcast app. This week we spoke with documentary filmmaker Madeline Martin-Yellow, who chatted with us all about her first feature documentary, Palazzo di Cozzo, and also speaking at the Australian International Documentary Conference this month. She was a joy to speak to, so we really hope you enjoy it. Madeline, would you be able to introduce yourself for our listeners, like who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, my name is Madeline Martiniello. I am a documentary filmmaker. Um, I'm pretty early in my career, about five years since I finished film school, and I just completed my first feature documentary, which um, just had its release at uh, the Melbourne Film Festival last year and played at um, cinemas across the country called Palazzo di Cozzo, which is a documentary about the um, Melbourne icon and Sicilian furniture salesman, Franco Cozzo. Amazing. Um, I would love to know why you chose um, his story to be told as well. So... I guess the idea came to me just one day when I passed Franco Cozzo's flagship showroom in Footscray. You know, I passed it many times before, but I guess it was just, you know, that time I sort of was driving past slowly and I just sort of thought, why has no one told his story? I knew, you know, that there were a few layers to the story and, you know, I was like many people surprised that the showroom was still standing after all these years. And I sort of thought that, you know, it was interesting that no one had really gone there yet. And um, I guess I thought, you know, A, there was this like quite sort of enticing visual aspect to his stores with the, you know, elaborate Baroque furniture that I thought, you know, would look really beautiful on screen. So from a, you know, filmmaker cinematic perspective, I was, you know, quite taken by the aesthetics of it. But then, you know, also he's this incredible character, um, you know, this larger than life personality. Um, and so I thought it was a pretty great combo. Um, also, I have Italian heritage. My dad's parents um, migrated in the same year as Franco Cozzo from Italy. So I guess I sort of had a bit of a personal connection to the story as well. Yeah, and um, I would love to know, like, how did you get into contact with him? Like the start? Yeah, yeah. so I actually just gave the store a ring and Franco Cozzo picked up the phone. <laughs> so I was a bit taken aback. Um, you know, he 
was in his 80s already when I, um, you know, first had the idea and he was still working six days a week. Um, and he just told me to come in and I didn't really have any clear idea of what I wanted to do at that point. It was just a tiny kernel of an idea, but I went and spoke to him and, you know, he was accommodating and said, you know, come back to me, write something down. And I guess it took a few weeks of back and forth until he agreed. But I think, um, you know, he's always really generous with his time and he loves being in front of the camera and talking to people about his story. Um, he's, you know, done a lot of media in the past, but I don't think he fully understood, you know, the huge commitment it is to make it a documentary. So it was an, a yes early on, but then, you know, we had to, um, I guess as time went on sort of, you know, there were lots of yeses along the way because documentaries are long-term projects and, um, you know, they require the subject to be, um, you know, happy to go ahead for, you know, years at a time. So, you know, it was a sort of continual building of the relationship that allowed the documentary to be made. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as you said, um, documentaries, they really require a lot of dedication and time commitment. Um, how long from that pre-production phase to like having the final film, how long was that process? Yes, yeah, so from that first day walking in the shop to say, introduce myself to, yeah, you know, locking the edit and walking out of the edit suite, you know, on the last day, I think it was about four years almost exactly from that initial conception. So yeah, quite a long time, um, you know, it takes time to build the relationship. It takes time to um, secure funding for films, but also, you know, I guess you're often trying to tell a story that evolves. And so time is also a necessary component because you wanna see characters change over time or watch them, you know, go through, go on a journey or something happen in their life that you want wanna see, you know, as things evolve. So yeah, it was a, a bit of a time commitment, but you know, pretty normal for documentaries. Some can take a lot longer than four years. Yeah, for sure. Um, and what sort of sparked your interest in um, documentary and especially like that observational character-led and archival storytelling? Um, I was always like really, really into films and cinema, but I didn't come to filmmaking until um, my mid-20s. I'd done an undergraduate degree in literature and when I finished that I still wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do and um, I'd done a bit of journalism subjects at uni and sort of thought you know maybe I could marry my um, skills that I'd learnt from that with my love of films and I went and studied um, the documentary master's course at VCA so um, yeah I think that really just gave me the confidence to be able to pursue you know filmmaking when I finished and um but I think my interest yeah came from this love of cinema but also I am particularly interested in documentary because I like the idea of being engaged in my community and that's the reason why the Franco Cozzo story also really appealed to me was because it was so local and you know I like the feeling of you know telling local stories contributing to local history um, 
And so, yeah, I guess that's why I did documentary. And I'm wondering what, was there a second part of your question? <laughs> Sorry. No, that's okay. Um, the second part was um, your interest in that character, that really character driven and observational. Oh, yeah. And the inclusion of archival footage as well. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, and I guess I got into documentary as well because you know I think real people are so interesting, and um, I don't know. I've always loved character-driven stories. Like I just love that human element, being able to connect with people. Um, I guess as opposed to more sort of issues-based things I do much prefer that and um I just I've always had a love of observational film I would love to make something that was purely observational one day but it takes um a lot of time and discipline for that to um work out but I feel like you learn things through the nuance of observational filmmaking that you don't learn just through interviews on their own you know just watching body language, watching the way people interact with others. There's like so many elements of the minutiae of people's, you know, behaviours that, you know, really contribute to, I think, a more complex story when you're looking at observational film. Um, and yeah, I was really lucky to be able to include heaps of incredible archive as well. I mean, researching archive, I think, is you know, one of the funnest things to do, trawling through and finding little gems. Um, some things I knew existed that we couldn't find and it was heartbreaking trying to, you know, look in every archive, contact random people on Facebook. Um, and sometimes it just, you know, things don't exist anymore, but we definitely dug up some real gems that I really loved. And how did you go about navigating that sort of ethical aspect of documentary um so for example how did you maintain sensitivity with your subjects and you can use Franco as an example um, while at the same time really capturing their own personal story and their vulnerable side as well yeah I mean documentary often requires um touching on yeah quite sensitive topics and you know things that people wouldn't you know always want to publicly share but are often you know really important to stories and you know really important for people to be able to connect to characters um, but also to you know make sure stories feel actually genuine like there needs to be a level of vulnerability I think otherwise um, you know people don't sort of feel real and I guess you know Franco Cozzo he was on the one hand an incredible documentary subject because he loved the camera but he was also really used to performing and um, he wasn't so used to having to speak about things that you know made him uncomfortable he sort of had um, you know a media persona that um, he was really used to inhabiting but um, there were things that, you know, it took us a long time to um, build the trust for him to be able to talk about. And so I guess ethically I wanted to make sure that, you know, in terms of my responsibility to the audience that certain things were covered 
um, especially, you know, things that were in the public domain that was still a bit uncomfortable for him to talk about, but, you know, it was necessary to, you know, acknowledge. And he, you know, he did understand that, but it was hard for him, especially, um, you know, I also understood that sort of culturally, you know, he's a man in his 80s from Southern Italy, um, you know, part of the culture is to not, not talk about those things. And so that was sort of an extra barrier too. And I think because, you know, I had that respect for him and he did understand that I, um, you know, would approach these things with as much sensitivity as I could, um, we did manage to sort of get there in the end. But, I mean, I was never interested in any type of, like, expose or, you know, like um, pushing, you know, beyond what was necessary for the story. I only wanted to include, you know, what we needed for people to understand who he was on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, you are, of course, taking part in speaking at the AIDC, the Australian International Documentary Conference, um, with a session called Cinematic Observations, The Craft of Capturing the Moment. Um, What made you want to take part in that? Well, when I was asked to take part, I guess I said yes immediately. I've been to the AIDC for a few years and um, I've really always enjoyed it. And I think especially now, you know, the idea of going somewhere where there's going to be other filmmakers in real life, it's a hybrid event. So some people are going to be joining online, but, you know, there'll still be lots of people who are there in person. And just, I think everyone's really craving like that coming together of the filmmaking community and hearing about what others have been doing. So I think, you know, this year in particular, it's going to be really nice to be able to speak to fellow filmmakers about our craft. Um, so yeah, I'm. I guess I'm just, yeah, feel really privileged to be able to talk on a panel like that. And um, yeah, sort of. I think when you do those sorts of things as well, you end up talking about things or saying things that maybe you hadn't even thought about before. So I feel like you get to learn also about um, your own filmmaking in the process of having to sort of answer questions about it. So I like that about it as well. Yeah, cool. And um, how valuable would you say going to the AIDC is as a documentary filmmaker, especially as like emerging filmmakers as well? Yeah, so I actually went um, in my last year at uni at film school um, for the first time. And I've always found it really valuable. I love going to all the sessions and hearing you know, about, they they get a lot of really great big international speakers. So I think it's really worthwhile. And there are programs like the Leading Lights program, which is for young and emerging filmmakers where you can apply to get a free pass. And so I did that. And so I would definitely recommend applying for that. Um, It's really worthwhile. And I would also say that, you know, the first year, second year I went, you know, I felt like a bit of a fish out of water. Like, you know, there were all these people who were, you know, really um, far along in their careers and I didn't really know anyone. Um, but I guess what I'd say to young filmmakers going to things like that is it's funny how, you know, only a few years down the track, you suddenly feel like, oh, I do belong here you feel more confident, you get to know people. Um, 
So I think it's good to just go and break the ice and sort of put yourself out of your comfort zone and start to attend things like that because yeah, now I'm speaking this year, which like seems really funny to me because I remember only a few years ago being there and yeah, feeling really nervous. So yeah, I think it's worthwhile. Yeah, definitely. And also like to volunteer as well. I was a volunteer a couple of years ago um, in the yeah. last like in-person one. Yeah. And then you get to like sometimes see free like sessions as well if you're a volunteer. Yeah, exactly. There's always a good way to sort of get in and just yeah, witness what's going on. And then I actually pitched the Franco Cozzo project with the producer there maybe two, three years ago. And that's actually what eventually led to us getting funding through the ABC. So um, yeah, it is it is really worthwhile, I think. Mm, that's great. Yeah. Um, and just as a last question, um, who are your filmmaking inspirations right now? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, am I really into at the moment well I mean this isn't super current but someone I love in terms of observational filmmaking is Kim Longinotto who's a British filmmaker who's been making like purely observational films for her whole career um and they're really really incredible I actually haven't seen her most recent film which is actually um about a woman who um was a photographer in Sicily and took lots of photos of um like basically like mafia um violence in in Sicilian towns um and yeah I've haven't been able to find it yet on a streaming platform but when it does come here it hasn't been at any festivals so I'll be really looking forward to that she's a really amazing observational filmmaker who yeah I would love to um follow in her footsteps a bit more great and that's all my questions. Thank you so much. Again. No worries. Thank you for listening to another episode of Art Smitten Bites. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at artsmittensin, all lowercase, and tune in on 90.7 FM every Wednesday, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. to listen to an Art Smitten episode.